Welcome to the Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. All right, so uh, I guess picking up where we left off last week, we were talking a lot about uh, giving investors educational ideas. Um, different scenarios and things we're talking about. So today we want to to kind of cover some tips for investors. Now you seasoned investors, a lot of these are going to kind of be like, yeah, okay, we already knew that. But there's a lot of new investors that listen to this podcast that are just getting their feet wet and they've been told to listen to podcasts, read books, do your research. So this is for them. Uh, and and some of you seasoned investors, may, it just may be a refresher course on things you can pick back up on that maybe you lost sight of because you've gotten busy or, or whatever. So let's go to uh, our first tip, Glenn. That's uh, understand the local market's trajectory. All right. So what do we mean by trajectory? Well, I can tell you. That's either going up or down. <laughs> well, it's it's been a strange market in Memphis because we have seen market values basically go up significantly in certain areas of Memphis, such as the eastern suburbs, Cordova, Bartlett, Arlington, Collierville, Germantown. These are not areas that typically investors would be in except for Cordova. But Cordova prices have gone up greatly. I'll give you an example. I put a listing on the market last Friday at 8 a.m. By Sunday, I had well over 20 or 30 showings. And by Sunday night, I had 15 offers. I had it listed at 239.9, and the winning bid was cash at 269. $30,000 over asking price. Meanwhile, I'm peddling these $30,000 houses on Third Street. Well, that's your, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> that's your choice. There, <laughs> I did. I did get one good investor from you, though. Um, well, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. But Germantown, parts of East Memphis, Collierville. And the, I don't know why you'd want to invest in those markets because you're going to spend three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars for a house. It's never going to rent. You're never going to even get close to one percent out of that. Um, well, and that's something we're going to talk about later. Yeah. As, as so one you want of to focus points. on Cordova. Yeah, has seen a what's what's the average increase? I mean, based on what I'm looking at, twenty maybe thirty percent over last year in value. Absolutely. And, and now, value is determined by what someone will pay for. You made that that's comment. right. Yeah. So. Uh, but, but what shocked me w- watching all these these offers get a, get accepted is that the appraisals are coming in at that number, which yeah, I, that, that is what blew me away. Yeah, that's I had uh, a couple of listings uh, two or three months ago where I was very concerned. Same thing happened. We were getting uh, conventional loan offers uh, well above asking, and I was thinking, man, this is never going to fly with the appraiser. And they come back and say, yep, we met purchase price. I haven't had an appraisal not – meet the number this year and it, is that because values are truly going up or you think appraisers are so busy they're just driving by a house taking a snapshot doing a cma like we do and say okay boom well this is the number let's add 10 grand to it here you go probably a little bit of both yeah but as long as the comps are there it's i had a house i sold early last year in uh, a neighborhood in cordova and i sold it for a hundred and ten thousand dollars right i sold the exact same floor plan exact same house this year 15 months later for 159,000 and my wow. first concern was the, the appraiser is never going to buy that I've sure enough that they came back again. and said 
appraiser came back, said it meets purchase price. We're good to go. Well, let's let's tag on to that and, and discuss about the, the trajectory is going up. Let's talk about the possibility of it going the opposite direction. Uh, there's there's so many different experts out there that claim now they're the same experts that claim we were going to have a, a tanked economy this year and the housing market is going to crash. And a lot of our investors sat on their money waiting for that to happen. And it didn't happen. Instead, it went the opposite direction. So when I say the word expert, I say that very loosely because I don't know if there's truly any real estate experts out there. It's hard to predict this market because we've seen some things in this market. I don't think anybody could have projected nor did anybody expect and there's so many unknown variables yeah. we have a new president well, new administration we know that there's going to be uh, a push to increase taxes both personal taxes and capital gains um well we there's s- a there's also a there's also a side that i don't think i, I haven't heard anybody talk about and it, it's a to me it's concerning and I'll give you an example. You got hedge fund groups out of New York and California and all these different places that are coming in with billions of dollars and they're buying up blocks and blocks of houses and they're overpaying eight, nine, ten, twelve thousand dollars for these homes, which is unfortunately driving the market up, right? And driving up competition. But here's what the hedge fund groups are gonna do next year. They're banking that Joe Biden's policies are going to be so bad for the economy that we're going to get into hyperinflation come the end of this year and into 2022. That's going to drive the housing market even further up and make it unaffordable for many. But then as soon as that 10 to 15 percent jump hits, they're going to cash out. And when they cash out, they're going to drop so much inventory on the market, it's going to crash the values. Okay, so if you're in this for the short term, you're in a extremely risky moment right now that you could buy into something and lose 10, 15, 20% overnight. Now, if you're in this for the next 10 to 20 years, you'll buy and hold. None of that matters to you because the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to lose some value on paper, but your rent's going to keep coming in and eventually you're going to go back to that point and it's going to exceed it and you're going to gain. So for you, those of you who are looking for these short-term bursts, getting in and out and trying to make some money, you need to pay attention because that is going to happen. I'm pretty convinced that when these hedge fund groups see the see the marginal increase they want they're going to dump millions and millions and millions of houses of inventory on back onto the market all at one time and the market housing market value is going to just drop and i don't know if it's going to be a 40 50 percent like we saw you know back in, in 2008 but we're going to see a significant 10 to 15 maybe 20 percent hit well, and I, that's part of real estate investing, which is different from the owner-occupant market. And that is, in our world of real estate investing, there's always going to be somebody buying and always going to be somebody selling. That's just right. the way the market works. You've got people sitting on the sidelines waiting for that drop in market value so that they can pick up some good properties. And then you have people that are still willing to buy at today's prices. I mean, it's happening. Well, let's talk about that. All right. Let's say the market does shift 20% and you can go buy that $100,000 house now for $80,000. It rents for $1,000 a month, right? So what you've done is you've increased your rate of return. And yes, you'll see some gains over the long term. But how significant is the rate of return from 80000 to 100000 what are we talking? A point or two? Maybe a point and a half? Yeah. It's not really significant, not significant to no. where if you all of a sudden paid 100000 and tomorrow it t- tanks to eighty, 
your your ROI is not going to adjust so greatly that it, it should should concern you, especially if you're in it until 2020 or 2025. You're not you're not looking to, to get in and out. So uh, just pay attention to the market. Pay attention to the trends. Right now, everything's still going up. Um, I'm starting to see a little bit of a plateau. Things are starting to level off a little bit. I can't imagine it's going to go any much more higher than where we're at today. Of course, I said that in February, and now look where we are. Um, but as we get into as we get into fall, things are going to. I'm almost positive they're going to slow down. They're going to cool off. Now that is when you need to start watching what's happening with these hedge fund groups because as soon as they feel the, the the top of the mountain starting to take the turn the other side they're going to start dumping properties as quickly as they can and that's when your market's going to start shifting well the 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 way this season works is your owner occupants are heavy in spring and summer but they want to buy and get moved in and get their kids in school by august so that's when it starts to cool down a little bit on the owner occupant side which is going to make the fall and the winter more amenable to real estate investors because there won't be as much competition during that time. It's a good time to buy. Now, I'm not going to dissuade anybody from wanting to buy in the summertime, but um, I will say that I think that it'll be easier to pick up good deals in in Q3 and Q4. My slowest time and your slowest time is between October and January. Yeah. Now, I would love to be swamped. I'd love to be swamped during the Christmas holidays and Thanksgiving holidays. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Most investors, I don't know where they get the mindset from, but it's like buying the stock market, buying into the stock market today when you know for a fact, come Christmas, you can buy that same stock for 15% less, yeah. but buying it anyway. So as an investor, you should be thinking about the cycle. Summertime is not the worst time to buy. But if you're in it for buying cheap deals, you got to wait till the fall. You got to wait till the holidays. You got to wait till January because that's when there's more inventory and less buyers. All right, let's move on to our next one, which is making sure you have the right technology. All right. Well, the technology that we use with our investors is a proprietary process that I developed several years ago utilizing the local MLS information. A lot of people don't understand that these third-party websites, and I won't mention their names because I don't like them. Zillow? Um, <laughs> you can mention them. I did because their information sucks. A lot of people use these third-party sites to look for properties. The problem is these third-party sites can't track the status of the listing as well as the local MLS. And so most of what's on Zillow, and I think this is purposeful, by the way, uh, most of what's on Zillow is already under contract. It's not available anymore. Right Now, if they wanted to track it closely, there'd be a whole lot less properties in Zillow because there's just not that much out there right now. Well, but... But and let's let me re, let me clarify what I said about Zillow and then tag into that. Z- Zillow is a is a great resource for a quick thirty thousand foot overview. Okay, typically their values are going to be inaccurate um, because they're using a, a, a totally different algorithm and a, a much broader scope of values versus a CMA cost market analysis. We dig down just into that neighborhood, five or six blocks around it. So your, your numbers are better. But they have a lot of good data, like tax data, uh, schools, rent, area, estimates. rent estimates, stuff yeah. like that. So for when you go to Zillow, use that for a 30,000-foot overview. Please don't call me and say, well, Zillow said. 
I don't care what Zillow said. I've I, had I've actually had people tell me, well, Zillow says my house is worth X. And I'm like, well. Well, then sell it for that. Yeah. Good luck. Have Go a good day. Go talk to Zillow. You know? <laughs> have them sell it for you. There's a, there, by the way, that, that reminds me of that sign we saw at, uh, at the restaurant in, uh, down in Pickwick. We don't care how you do it in Memphis. We don't care what Zillow says. <laughs> period. We don't care. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the way that we handle our investors is we put them into uh, the Paragon Collaboration Center, and we put in searches that are specific to their criteria, price points, number of bedrooms, location, etc., so that only those listings that meet the criteria that are still active and available show up on that site. So each investor has their own personal site with their searches, their criteria, and those listings that that uh, meet those criteria. And the reason why that's important is because it gives you instant access. As soon as something hits the market, you're notified of it. Now, if you don't get on, if you don't get in your email or get in your collaboration system and look at it, that's on you. But the listing is there. Instead of a instead of you getting a hundred emails from a lazy agent at another firm who doesn't even understand the the collaboration system and doesn't set it up for their clients, they're constantly spending hours searching for properties and emailing you one at a time. This is you go into your collaboration system and open up a page and it has a, a entire list with pictures, list price, uh, zip code, bedroom, square footage, and you just go down a list so one catches your eye. Then step two of that is what? Most of my investors, I tell them, Shoot me a text. Hey, yeah, what do you think about this exactly. this property? Then I can immediately get on my phone, get into their Paragon system, their their collaboration system, get it, get all the data, pull, give them a thirty thousand foot overview, which is still better than Zillow's thirty thousand foot overview. Rent comps, and then they can decide at that moment. Okay, I'm interested in this. Yep, and then we can move on. Um, the key to the key to buying good real estate investment is is timing. You can't have an agent that's going to take three days to get you stuff and then another two days to get you an offer. It'll by be that, gone it'll by be then. Gone. It's be gone, gone by then. No, nowadays, actually, we've adopted a new policy, and that is go ahead and write the offer and get it in, and then we'll go check the property out. Because mm-hmm. you can always withdraw if condition is below expectation. Right. So it's, it's a great system to use. My investors love it. Um, I can actually go into the dashboard and see who's been in there, how many times they've accessed it, whether they've marked any listings as favorites or possibles. And it's a great system to use because if I see something in, interesting in there, I'll call them instead of waiting for them mm-hmm. to call me. And I, you know, as, as a, an agent who's built this business mobile, I like the, 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 the minute-to-minute connection with my investors. I like the fact that they'll text me. Um, and they can email me. I have email on my phone. But it, if I get a text, I respond, right? I know that it's something that if you take the time to text me an address, you've got an interest. That means I've got to move on it quickly. So, you know, the more accessible we are, the more houses we sell. Because let's face it, uh, investors are very impatient. They'll they'll wait five days to respond to you, but as soon as they respond, you better be on the hook and ready to go. <laughs> if not, <laughs> they'll be finding another agent. Everything else is is centered around communication. I mean, basically, other than the collaboration system, everything else we have is is centered around the communication process that we have with our investors. It's not, in other words, I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure you're just like me. When the phone rings, I answer it. If it rings at midnight, I answer it. If I get a text at 10, 8, 10 p.m., which I did last night, I go to my computer and send them the data they asked for. So 
our biggest technology we have is just open communication. We're always available. I mean, I'm on the, I get calls on the boat on a Sunday. I get texts. I get emails. Uh, and I, I last Saturday we're trying to build a deck on the end of our slip. And guess what I had to do? I stopped right in the middle of it where everybody's working their butts off. I got on my computer and wrote two offers for an investor. Yeah. Um, so technology is just standard technology i think it's how you use it it's what's important i still tell the story from time to time well a few times i've called another agent at another brokerage and their message is if you are calling after 5 p.m on a business day we will return your call on the next business morning and i'm like okay and how do you expect to be successful when you adopt that kind of policy. In today's market, most investors have other businesses and other jobs. And they have they real things. jobs. <laughs> they're, they're not looking at properties during the day. Uh, I got a text from an investor last night, the one that texted me at 10 o'clock about a particular house. Um, and you know who they are. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yes, I and do. And he, he apologized. because I'm so sorry that we only look at properties at 9 and 10 o'clock at night your time. And I, I my response was, look, I get it. You have day jobs. You know, you're not thinking about it while you're work. You When you get home, you have dinner. Then all of a sudden, you and your wife sit down and you start going through it and looking and something catches your eye. But technology-wise, the iPhone, text, email, and everything being connected to our phone, to the computer – uh, we're, we're on 24-7. So technology is nothing new. I think it's just the way we put that technology to use for our investors that makes a difference. Yep. Plan for cycles in the market. Cycles, points where values fluctuate. Values go up, values go down. I think that the really the way to describe this point is not plan for it, but just be aware that it's going to happen. You don't know when the cycle is going to turn. But you and and you don't if you're long term, you're not worried about it anyway. The only thing that hurts a long term hold is unemployment. Okay, unemployment on the rise, people not working, not able to pay rent, can be hurtful to a, to a landlord as we've discovered during COVID. Right. A lot of landlords got hurt because of this ridiculous, unconstitutional uh, moratorium on evictions. So that can impact you long term. But other than other than that, and market changes in value, uh, market changes in inventory, none of those things matter um, to you if you're in this for the next 10, 15 years. Because let's face it, in 2008, I remember this specifically. The market crash. It's the biggest crash we've ever had. Yep. People are running for the hills with their hair on fire thinking, oh, my God, the world's over. But people are committing suicide over this. I mean, it was just – it was devastating. But then four years later, what's going on? The market's kicking in the gear. Everything's normal and everything's fine. So – even in the worst crash we had, it took us three to four years to recover and about five to six years to match where we were previously. And then the next year we exceeded it and it has not stopped yet. Yep. So when you when you think about the cycles, don't think about catastrophe, because even in the worst time in the housing market, we recovered fairly quickly for the amount of devastation that we we, we got hit with. I mean, think about the number of evictions and foreclosures and banks that were a lot of banks went under. Uh, because they just couldn't, they couldn't, they didn't have the money to stay afloat. Well, and if you look at it, you had you had folks whose market values went down so much that they couldn't sell because they'd be short on their mortgage payoff. They became de facto landlords because they needed to move on with their lives. Maybe got transferred for a job, uh, divorce, whatever, and they couldn't sell. So what did they do? They turned it over to EPM to let them uh, manage renters just to be able to pay the mortgage. 
Those were the smart ones because they're the ones that are selling today at top market prices. And so not only are they making up for lost time, but they're getting a gain out of what would have been a serious loss. A huge gain in just 10 years coming out of the worst economic crash that we've seen since the Great Depression. Think about that. 10 years later, those folks have now almost a 40-50% increase in value of their property. Um, So I guess the lesson here is don't be chicken little. Just cool out, make, get yourself a beer, watch TV and relax, and just let the market play out. Don't freak out every time any little bubble hits or a hiccup hits because it's real estate, right? It's going to come back. It always does. Well, that's kind of like the stock owners that sell low. They go in and buy, and then the market tanks, and they decide to dump it and get out. And now they've got as if loss. it's going if it's going to zero and never coming back. Well, I mean Enron did, but that was a <laughs> weird case. It's very hard to pull an Enron these days. They, I mean, they're pretty yeah, tight. They're, LDDS, yeah. WorldCom, uh, Enron. Yeah, those days, unfortunately, and unfortunately, have uh, a lot of people got hurt. But they, it changed how investors view investments and how they're monitored and how they're regulated to where you can't that's not going to happen again so yeah same with the stock market if it tanks twenty dollars a share just hold on to it it'll come lose twenty dollars a share because eventually it's going to go right back to where it was we've seen the market fluctuate wall street has fluctuated all year long all last year because of covid Mm -hmm. you know and other factors such as the change in administrations etc but in the long term is always going to keep going up so let's go to the next one. Develop a perspective on what you think is overpriced and underpriced. So we touched on this last week, and we get this question a lot. What do you think the market value is? Well, what do you want to pay for it? <laughs> because that's the market value. Yeah. And a lot of people get fixated on the CMA and fixated on asking versus what the, the real market value is or whatever. Now, the only time this matters is if you're buying with a conventional loan and you need to get an appraisal. It does matter because it's got to appraise for your offer amount. If it doesn't, we renegotiate it backwards. But most of our investors are cash buyers. So if you're going in and the house is listed at 85000 and we do a CMA and it says it's worth 76000 but it rents for nine fifty a month, even at 85000 your ROI is still great. So why does the purchase price matter as long as it's renting and producing that 1% or higher or that 8, 9, 10% net ROI you're looking for. If it produces that, who cares about the 85000 It's not like you're going to pay 85000 for it in 10 years from now. It's going to be worth sixty. Ten years from now, it's going to be worth 105000 It's going to go up. So why does it matter? I always tell my investors when you're I, – I don't calculate return on investment for my investors. I give them the data. I give them – what the asking price is, what the taxes are, what the rent estimate is. Uh, let them factor in their own repairs, maintenance, etc. And I'll say, look at your ROI and tell me what you're willing to pay for this property based upon the ROI objective that you have. Mm-hmm. And if, if that's 90000 instead of eighty five on a house that the CMA reflects as being seventy six. It doesn't matter as long as you're getting the ROI that you want. All right. Where it where the purchase price matters is when they're listing it for seventy five or ninety five thousand dollars and the max rent is eight hundred. Yeah, your your ROI is upside down. So yeah, that is very important. But if if it rents for more 
and you can exceed the 1% rule, especially in this crazy market, if you can get 1% or better, who cares what the purchase price is? It does not matter. And I still think you can achieve that in Raleigh, Whitehaven, Berkeley, and parts of Bartlett. Sherwood you, Forest. I'm not sure you'll get there in Cordova. You can get it in Orange Mound for sure. Yeah, if you want to buy down in that area of town. And that's we have areas that we look at all of the time because they are uh, improving economically. But we don't want our investors to be in areas where there's high crime, a uh, lot of tenant turnover, which is going to increase your maintenance costs because you're going to have to re-prepare it for rent market again once a year. Repair bullet holes. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that before. Uh, but we try to keep you in those areas where we expect the economic activity to, con- to continue to improve and bring those market values up. You know, Whitehaven has Graceland. Raleigh has the Amazon facility and the Nike facility. So, you know, yeah, if you want to buy an orange mound, you got to go street by street and take a look at it and see how it looks. Yeah. Well, I just I looked at one last night for an investor, and we're considering it. It's three or four blocks just past Highland on the left side of Park. So you're right in that area where, you know, you can go a couple of blocks, and there's a lot of nice homes that are remodeled. There's a lot of remodeling going on over there. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of seeing a – a turn, but it's one of those turns that it's like three steps forward, ten steps back. I mean, it's going, but it keeps falling back into that because of the crime over there. So we'll have to watch it and see. Next tip for our investors is make sure you have enough capital. If you're going to buy a property, you have to understand that it's not going to cash flow all the time. Correct. If you have the HVAC goes out, water heater has to be replaced, you need some capital reserves held back so that you can deal with those issues. You can't let somebody go without hot water for two weeks while you try to figure out how to pay for a water heater. Exactly. Okay. The tenant has certain rights in the state of Tennessee. And so you need to have some capital reserves in case something comes up that you need to pay for and it hasn't and you can't pay for it with the cash flow that you've gotten from the property yet. Mm-hmm. There's an old investment rule that has, or, or philosophy that has gotten lost over the last 20-something years. And it was one that was taught to me by a mentor of mine back when I was about 25 years old. Actually, when I first got it in the real estate, dabbling in real estate. Um, he had, I don't know, he probably had 150 properties, um, duplexes, single family, had a couple of eightplexes. Um, but I remember, and he was in his 70s. He'd had them for probably 30 years. Or maybe he's maybe mid-60s. And I'm thinking the whole time about the cash flow this guy's making, like how much money he makes every month. But he looked at me and said, I don't care about the monthly cash flow. That's not important to me. Because what I did is I bought properties. I put tenants in them, right? I mortgaged those properties, and my tenants paid my mortgage for me. So now I'm sitting on $5 million worth of real estate paid for that I'm going to liquidate, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy my boat, and I'm going to wherever I'm going to go, and I'm going to retire. So the the old investment theory was you buy a property. It's got a mortgage on it. You put a tenant in it so they cover your mortgage, your taxes, insurance, and your maintenance. You don't make a dime off of it. But 10, 15 years from now, 20 years, when you pay that mortgage off, you now have a $100,000, $200,000 asset. It's no different than having that money sitting in the bank or sitting in a retirement account. Now, you can always equate the fact that they paid your your note, taxes, and insurance, and maintenance, and factor that into your return, and your return's still outstanding. I mean, you've now gone and have a two hundred thousand dollar asset that you've not put a dime into. 
And that was the way the original theory of real estate investment was put together. Now it's evolved into income. Most people are buying it because they want to make two, three hundred dollars a month income off of each property, which is which is fine if you can do that. But if you don't make anything for a year, but you're planning on holding it for twenty years till it's paid off, then you're going to sell it for retirement. You're still coming out way better, way better than most people that never took a step to invest in real estate. You know, another step in the evolution of real estate investing one of my best investors he's purchased 31 properties from me and he would get a 15 year or 30 year mortgage but he would constantly pay down on the principal and get it paid off so that he could then use that property as collateral to buy more properties Mm -hmm. and he's done a fantastic job of it and it's it's like you said, he wasn't looking for income. He was trying to get everything paid down so that he could use that collateral to get a, a line of credit or find another lender to, to make loans with to buy more property. Yep. Very smart way to approach it. Let's go on to the next one. Consider risk management. Now, what does that mean? To me, I'll give you an example of risk management. Do you think you would be better off with two $100,000 homes or one $200,000 home as an investment? Being what I know now, two $100,000 homes. There you go. Spread your risk around. You spread your risk around because even a $200,000 house is going to have two HVAC systems, probably going to have two hot water heaters. So it's not like you're, you've are you got more risk with two homes rather than one. You're actually spreading your risk. That way you, can all, you always know you're going to have at least one tenant, right? Yeah. $200,000 house, tenant leaves, you can be vacant for 60 days. Not to mention the larger the home and the higher the rent, the lower the the smaller rental market you're in. Right? When you get into I'd say the sweet spot in Memphis is 1200 down to 750 to 1200. When you break that, your amount of available renters drops dramatically every $100 you go up. Yep. So the larger home with the higher rent, your vacancy rates going to be higher. Just that's just just math and your ROI is going to be lower because at some point the market value and the rent value stops tracking together and that's right now that's around a hundred and sixty hundred and seventy thousand dollars and then when you talk about managing your risk we kind of touched on that earlier Um, manage your risk from a perspective of long term if that's what you're doing don't manage it on a day-by-day basis. Don't be one of these guys that says, oh, my God, the market changed 4% yesterday. I need to liquidate. Don't manage it that way. If you're making $300 a house net, take 150 of that and stick it in the bank. Just hold on to it, right? Build yourself a nice little cushion, a surplus. And at the end of the year, if all of a sudden you didn't need to spend that $2,000 you just saved, you only spent 500 great. Roll it into next year. Get your. I tell most of my, my young, newer investors that are not have never done this before, take half your income that you make from a property and stick it in the bank. Once you do that for a couple of years and build you up a nice little cushion and an nest egg, then start using that money to do other things with. Get yourself protected. Make sure you, you, you manage your risk because, let's face it, we've seen it. We've seen a guy close on a house, and a week later, the sewer line in the front yard collapsed. We've seen you close, and a month later, the HVAC compressor just blows, and there's oil everywhere. It's got to all be replaced. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it happen. It happens. That's um, just a that's a risk that you take when you buy real estate. Correct. That's just the way it is. So manage your risk that way. Just 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 be smart. Be conservative. Um, 
You know, I, I'm not going to lie. When I was 24 years old, if I was making 300 bucks a month on the side, you know what I'd do? I'd spend $299 of it. <laughs> and I have a dollar left in my wallet. I mean, I understand that. Uh, but but if you're smart about it, we know an investor, uh, he was here uh, for the summit, who has never made a ton of money. He's just an average working American guy. But he just paid $700,000 cash for properties. Because over the years, he's gotten properties and put all the money in the bank and then rolled that money. And when he got to a certain point, he'd buy another property. Uh, He ended up with almost a million dollars worth of real estate in California that he liquidated, came to Memphis and just spent 700,000 of it in a 1031. So you don't have to have a ton of money to do it. But he was smart. He He was conservative. He didn't get the property to live off of. He got the property to retire on. So therefore, all the money, extra money he made on it, he threw in the bank and built up a huge sum of cash over the last 20 years and was able to really uh, take his portfolio to the next level. Now when you know, he's ready to retire in 15 years, he's going to probably liquidate and walk away 5 or $6 million. And that's a nice retirement. So our final tip is be patient and structure your holdings for the future. And we've talked about that through the other seven points. We have. But that's a very important point. And I'm, I'm going to give you a scenario. And this is happening a lot, especially here in Memphis, probably happening in other markets. But last year, investors were one percenters. If I can't get one percent, I don't want it. This year, we've got investors that are doing 10% annual gross, rents, right? Which changes the dynamics, but they're, they're, they're taking a philosophy. Look, I'll go with a 10% annual gross now because it's under market, it's rented under market, but the lease expires in eight months, and when it expires, I'm gonna go to market, now I'm at my 1%. So they're buying for a future, right? They're not buying for what it's gonna produce next month, they're buying for what it's gonna produce next March. And that's a smart way to do it, because now you can be competitive in a competitive market and end up six months from now being exactly where you would have been last year this time buying a home and and getting a 1%. You know, managing the future of your project, that's, that's important. Um, I think we talked about the one investor that's paying down, right? Yes. He's managing his 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 future of his portfolio and, and what his asset's going to become. We have other guys that are taking the little bit of money they make and put it in a bank so that they can manage that asset and get it to the point where it's it's something that they want it to be. Other guys are taking their properties and they're, they're paying cash for them. Then they're refinancing those at 50 cents on a dollar and buying five more for cash or four more for cash. And then they're paying, taking those four and refinancing and buying two more for cash and you end up with 10 homes yep. um, at 50 cents on a dollar, which means if you've got 10 homes and you got a million dollars, you've got a $500,000 equity position. Now you've got leverage to do what? Go out and expand your portfolio. Yep. The point being, this is a long-term game. Uh, are there short-term players out there yes those are the guys that buy a house rehab it and flip it but i'm telling you that is going to slowly dwindle and it's two reasons number one uh, inflation and in construction materials has has increased the cost of uh, doing these rehabs and it's less likely that you're going to find properties that you have enough margin in that you can rehab them put them on the market and sell them and still make a profit and number two is when the current administration tries to increase short-term capital gains taxes, that's going to put a hurting on these guys. If they take it from 15 to 30%, forget it. There won't be any rehabs anymore. It's just not going to happen. Well, what you'll find is a lot of these, guys, a lot of these individuals will be setting up corporations 
to buy and rehab and sell and then have corporate income uh, and payroll. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the corporate tax is going to hit a certain point where it's probably not going to make much difference. No. And construction um, materials have become so expensive yeah. that a twenty, you know, what would two years ago have been a $20,000 rehab is now thirty or 35000 Yeah. Well, and I think that's there's a lot of speculation and theories behind that. Um, a lot of our raw material for lumber comes out of Canada. There's discussion that Canada's retaliating against Joe Biden for shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, which was very beneficial to the to, to Canada, hugely yes. beneficial. Um, and then there's other. I, I don't know why there's there's. Uh, such a hike and an increase in the value. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, we have less lumber mills in the country. It's not like we have less trees. Um, I just don't know what's driving it. And the one thing that makes sense to me is that we're having to bring a lot of that lumber in to turn into building material out of Canada. And I, I haven't heard, and maybe I'll do some research if they've maybe they've increased the taxes on it. Maybe they've increased the, the cost of it, the yeah. tariffs. Maybe they're just. Selling most of it to local Canadian, you know, lumber mills and telling the U.S. lumber mills to, you know, climb a tree. I don't know. They're probably selling it to China. It uh, could be. <laughs> and then we're buying it from China at three times what we should be paying for it. And it's probably half wood and half chalk and half uh, radiated, you know, ground material. So I guess, you know, if... if the, to now summarize. That, no, no, look at all of our eight tips that we put out there. Buy and hold is the safest, less riskiest, and probably in the long term, the most profitable aspect of investing in, in rental real estate. Uh, short-term flips, while they can be profitable for reasons mentioned, they're getting less and less profitable and harder to come by, obviously, yes. because even, even a piece of crap house right now is selling for more than I would pay for it because people know the market's hot and people want real estate. Now, ending on that, I still believe that our hedge fund guys have driven that market. I just thought about that. Maybe the hedge fund purchases and drive may be causing the the drive up in the lumber costs and drive up in construction costs. How do you figure? I don't know. I need to. I'm going to research that. I'm going to look into that, and then our next podcast, I'm going to see if I can figure it out. Well, I think it goes without saying that this is a long term hold game. There's still deals to be had out there right now. And there's always going to be deals going forward. Like I said, whatever happens in the market, there's always going to be somebody buying and always going to be somebody selling. That's the nature of real estate investment. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real world guide to real estate investment and property management. Be sure to subscribe at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Enterprise Property Management's real estate services, please visit us on the web at EPMRealEstate.com. This has been a Sound Ideas Group production for Enterprise Property Management, Inc. Thank you.